Welcome back to DevCast, and this is the first English DevCast this fall, and I'm a bit nervous, I should say, but I don't need to be nervous this time because I have a new co-host. Magnus Mortensen is my new co-host, because when you have been two times on my podcast, you are automatically a co-host. You know that now, Magnus? That's brilliant. Thank you. Okay. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy being with you, so that's awesome. Yeah. And today we'll be talking with uh, Rand Kraftcore from Microsoft in Redmond and we'll be talking about a new very very interesting subject because it's about a new database and of course we always like new database so welcome Ryan thank you thank, thank you very much guys um, and it's, it's really good to be on your podcast so awesome so uh, document DB is your baby Ryan what what is document DB and why do we need a new database? Um, so those are very good questions. And, and, and I think, um, you know, when we, when we set out on this, on this project uh, probably 18 months ago, you know, we, we asked ourselves that same question. We said, well, you know, why do we need another database? You know, there are so many databases. We've already got, you know, probably um, a very, very popular SQL server and we've got Azure storage and, you know, we've got lots of places to store data. Why do we need a new database? And, you know, we, we took a hard look at, at what people are building today and the types of applications people build and the frustrations that they had with with the existing data services that Microsoft offered. And we saw that there was a gap in the middle and we thought, you know, the gap is between a full relational database engine like SQL Server or SQL Azure or SQL DB um, and, you know, into the Azure storage options, which are great options around, you know, some key value stores that you get in table storage and some unstructured stuff that you get with blob storage. But we saw this gap in the middle and we thought there's a perfect opportunity to complement and complete Azure's data platform by, by providing this new database as a service. All right, cool. So uh, the um, table storage mainly has been uh, named uh, up until now as the uh, the NoSQL offering that Microsoft has had. You know, not not only a, a, a SQL database. Yep. Uh, now um, you, you're positioning the, now the document database somewhere in between the uh, SQL uh, world and the table storage, or NoSQL world, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we see DocumentDB slotting in right between uh, SQL, which gives you full relational databases uh, with incredible rich query capabilities and transactions and all of that stuff that you used to, and table storage, which is a brilliant NoSQL offering, but it's more of a key value store uh, where, you know, you store everything and you key it by this one key. And Mm -hmm. when you are able to kind of query all your data all the time by that one key, table Mm -hmm. storage is brilliant. It's incredibly quick. It's super cheap. It scales to petabytes. But in between, you know, I want something of scale, but I want rich query capabilities and I want no SQL schema and I want to deal with JSON. You know, then then we start running into some some difficulties. And and you can build a lot of cool things in table storage, but... In order to get that rich querying capability on different properties and stuff, you have to start building your own indexing effectively. You store the same record in in table storage in multiple different ways, keyed by different things so that you can get Mm -hmm. it out effectively. But Ryan, Ryan, why why a new uh, database? Is not DocumentDB very uh, like, as, as, for example, MongoDB? 
Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's a great question. And, and again, when we set out to do this, you know, 18 months ago, we looked and said, well, you know, yes, we think there's, there's place in the Microsoft stable for a, a document database. And we sat yeah. down and we looked at the document databases that were available at the time. And, you know, Mongo, Raven, Couch, Cloudant, um, they were all existing, you know, NoSQL document databases. And right. that they do pretty much the functionality that, that we were looking to achieve, except they were missing some key things um, at the time. And, okay. you know, when we sat down to start this project, we, we had um, some key directives that we, we were targeting. And, the, and, and, and I can basically break those key, key objectives down into three key things. The one was um, document databases provide this promise um, of schema-free world, right? You can work with schema-free. Um, right. And that's, that's great. And a lot of people love the fact that they're not bound to a schema. Now, with, when we looked at this, there was no database that, that we believed that gave you complete, true schema-free capabilities. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, you can, um, you can store your data in any schema you like, um, and that's true. So you just keep adding your JSON documents in whatever schema you want, and, and the database just accepts them. But in order to query for them, what you have to do is you have to go back and you have to kind of define your index paths and you have to go and say, hey, database, I want you to index the following path in my JSON document. And I want you to index, you know, the following attributes. And I want, you know, so you go and you define these these index paths. Now, to us, when we looked at this, we thought, well, that's not really schema free because what you're actually doing by defining this index is you're actually implying a schema, right? You're not explicitly creating a schema, but you're implying one. Because if I now start saving a document that looks slightly different, that doesn't match that index path, I'm not going to be able to query for my document because it, it, it's not going to be found in the indexer. And, and we said, well, that's not true schema-free. It, 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 it's part of the way there, but it's not real schema-free. And, and we wanted to make sure that we were completely schema-free, you know, that you could just take a JSON document, save it, and start querying immediately on any property in that JSON document without actually going and defining these index parts. Um, and, and there wasn't a database at the time, um, and I don't really believe there's many even today that allow you to do this, you know, com- uh, transparent kind of automatic consistent indexing that, that we do. The the second major block that, that we looked at was this concept of consistency in a database. And I'm sure everybody's familiar with what consistency means when you're reading records out of a, um, a, a multi-node uh, database, right? So if you had, for instance, a SQL server um, today, uh, a cluster, and you had a master and you had a couple of replicas that you were reading from, um, what would happen with, with SQL Server in a strong consistency mode is when you ask for a read, when you try to do a read from a database, it would wait until it had a majority um, you know, quorum. So the majority of the replicas agreed on what the, the, the latest version of that record looked like before it would ter- return the read to you. Now, sometimes, depending on the size of your cluster and, and what's going on and the amount of traffic that's happening and the volume of writes coming in, that process can actually get quite slow, waiting for that majority to give you that consistent read to ensure that you don't get a dirty read. Um, and one of the biggest problems with, with, with that concept is when you start scaling into you know, web scale and you're dealing with you know, 
tens of thousands of transactions a second and you're dealing with petabytes of data, that model does not scale. And we all know it doesn't scale very well. Um, and that's one of the biggest problems um, and one of the biggest drivers that people have been going to look for alternative ways to, to, to process data. Um, and one of the alternative ways of processing data is, is, is this concept of eventual consistency, where we say, okay, I don't care that my, my replica that I'm reading from uh, doesn't have the latest record. I'm just going to return the read that I have, right? I'm going to return my version of the truth. And, and, and that's okay, because if your application can deal with that. The problem is, as many applications today can't deal with that. You know, if you create a, a record or you update a record, you expect to be able to see that immediately. Um, and with some eventual consistency systems, what happens is you, you make an update and you do a read and you're reading the old record and you think, well, hang on, what's going on? I've just updated the record. And then you do the read again and now you've got the new record. And, and what's happening is that your reads are being distributed across your replicas to scale out your reading. But you're reading potentially old data because the, the replication hasn't happened on all the nodes yet. And that's the problem with eventual consistency is that, yes, it, 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 it gives you this quick performance because we don't block the reads. But it gives you this unpredictable, inconsistent kind of nature of, of reading because you're dealing with 30, 30 records. Um, so today you're either in this world of kind of predictable uh, but slow with strong consistency or unpredictable but quick with consistency and you don't really have an option to move from the one to the other or you you have to make these kind of you know important decisions up front and then you're kind of locked into that model and there's no way to change it and there's no way to adjust it and it's either this or it's that and you know there's nothing in between so when we sat down with document db we said well we're not happy about the fact that it's either you're breaking up round but uh, we understand i think i think you yeah we can't hear you right now. Hello, Ryan. Are you uh, consistent? Oh, Ryan has problems. He has eventual voice. Hey. No, oh, hey, good. Ryan. You're back. Oh, good. Oh, sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Me neither. Me neither. All right. So when we started out this project with, with DocumentDB, we, we looked at it and went, well, you've got strong consistency, you've got eventual consistency, but it would be really nice to be able to have something in between so that we didn't have to make these big trade-offs and these big kind of important decisions um, and be able to sacrifice you know, a, a lot of stuff. So we sat down and said, well, are there other consistency levels that we can look to work with? And we did a lot of research playing around and, and, and testing different models. Um, and we've got two other levels of consistency that, that slot in between strong and eventual. The one is called bounded staleness, where you say, look, my application can tolerate some level of stale reads, but it's a configurable level, and you can choose how, how stale your reads are allowed to get. So you can configure that by, by a time time period or a number of, 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 of operations behind. So you can configure that. So it's, it's, it's eventual consistency, but it's kind of uh, a little bit, you can control how eventual it's going to be. And then there's another one that we think is the the best compromise, and, and, and it's actually the default. Um, if you don't specifically set, we'll set the default. So this one called session consistency. And what session consistency is, is the notion of when you have a session to document DB and you're working in that session, everything you do in that session is effectively in strong consistency. So you can read your own rights and you'll get predictable behavior on your own rights. But other people that have sessions um, open to document DB, they won't necessarily uh, see your, your rights 
immediately. So they all operate in this kind of concept of eventual consistency for your rights. But you all operate in strong consistency for your stuff. So it's a good mixture of strong and eventual consistency. Yeah. So so we think that one's pretty cool. Um, Yeah. And and that one gives you that really good kind of compromise. Yeah. So so let me let me ask you has has anyone um, else have you ever seen this anywhere else in any other product a similar notion to this? Um so no I mean you know I think one of the things that we have seen in another product that that comes close to what we allow you to do is uh, on a query level you can actually say hey even though my database is running as strong consistency for this particular query I want to run this query as an eventual consistent so I just want to get a read as quickly as I and I don't care that it could be old. Now, that right. level of configurability um, at a query level, that we've seen in, in, in Cassandra, they implement something fairly similar. Um, and they're cool. the only ones that we know of that allow you to kind of tweak these consistencies. Awesome. So we, we've, um, we jumped straight into uh, the Microsoft product. We uh, talked about specific products, and we, we also went uh, really hard and deep into uh, the features of DocumentDB, which is awesome. But, Magnus, Magnus, I think uh, yes. we, we have uh, missed one yep. feature that are rather unique for anyway for, for from my perspective, and that's the, uh, the possibility to, to script in the database. Ryan, is this, this unique for for DocumentDB, or do other databases have that feature? We've seen that in some. We've we've seen that as a feature in in some of the other products to to a larger or lesser extent. Um, we think it's a very powerful feature, and so store procedures, triggers, that kind of stuff. We we believe they're powerful um, and they're very useful if they're used correctly. You know, a lot of people when you say trigger, they they kind of want to get their pitchforks out and chase you away. You know, throwing <laughs> rotten fruit at you because triggers have a bad reputation because people have used them in, you know badly. Um, if you write a trigger that ends up being this kind of recursive function, you know, you will get yourself into trouble. But that's true of anything. You know, if you don't use something the way it was intended and you use it badly, you're going to get bad results. But that's not necessarily the, the, the fault of the thing you're using, right? Mm-hmm. So so triggers are really useful if they're used properly. And, and, and so are stored procedures. Now, the very cool thing about stored procedures in DocumentDB is – Everything that executes inside that store procedure runs inside of a snapshot, snapshot, snapshot isolation. Right. And, and what that means is that effectively gives you a transaction because anything that that store procedure does, if we exit out of that store procedure by throwing an exception, um, the server will pick that up and then revert back um, to before that store procedure executed. Mm-hmm. So that basically means that anything that's inside that store procedure that you run runs inside of a transaction. That means I can go inside of a NoSQL database now. I can go and update multiple documents inside of a collection. I can create documents. I can do anything I like on the server end. Um, and do that in a an acid unit of work, which is really powerful. It and, is. And we don't believe many others offer that capability. That's really cool. And um, let me just uh, add to that uh, a follow up question: Is it then possible to have multiple uh, uh, stored procedures? If you is that what you call them? Stored yeah, procedure. stored procedure. Yeah. Multiple stored procedure calls inside of of one of your own transactions. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. So you can, from inside of a stored procedure, it, a stored procedure is just a JavaScript function. So you can right. write JavaScript function to do, using our JavaScript SDK, right. you can write a JavaScript function to do almost anything on that server. Right, but uh, I, meant, I, meant from, um, I meant from your from your code. Like if I have an application that's going to call the document database, can I start a mm -hmm. transaction and call a couple of stored procedures and then end my transaction after that? Ah, oh, okay. No, because that, that, that that's a notion of like a distributed transaction because right. then we have to kind of um, span okay. multiple like snapshots. Mm -hmm. So so no, we don't have the concept of a distributed okay. transaction yet. Okay. The transaction happens within the in the store procedure. Okay, I see. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's great. I mean, now we've covered a bunch of features. I'm sure there might be more that you would like to talk about. But the thing that we actually missed in the beginning that I was going to that I was aiming for just now was the fact that. We haven't really told everybody, you know, what a document database is, uh, you know, oh. at, at heart, you know, the basics <laughs> of it, and which is which is funny. Maybe we should cut this whole show and put this question first. But I think we should actually tell the viewers or sorry, the listeners, I mean, who are yeah. not you know familiar with the document database concept, what, you know, the core functionality, the core idea of a document database really is. That, that's actually probably a very good, a, a very good idea, because you'll be surprised how many people say, oh, it's a document database. That means I can store my Word docs and my Excel docs right. and PDFs. And, and I'm like, no, 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 it's not that kind of document. I heard uh, references to iCloud. So, yes, please explain yes. a document database. Exactly. So so document database is not, is not a document management system. Okay? A document management system, something like SharePoint that you can add your Word docs to and your Excel docs and all of that kind of stuff, that's a very different beast from what we're talking about here. Yes. Um, a document database is a classification of a NoSQL database. Um, um, and you can think of them as a... As, as a, as a uh, what's the best way to, to do this? But it's a, a, a JSON document, and JSON being a way to describe your data in JavaScript object not, uh, notation. Okay, so it's the new XML for how you describe data. Okay, um, that block of JSON we call a document, and, and document databases typically work with those JSON or a variation thereof, but of those documents. So it's 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 not it's not word documents it's not pdfs it's think of you know data that you have so instead of a csv or an xml file you actually have a json document which you're storing and dealing with so a document is a bunch of properties yeah so it's it, it's a it's a it's a json file that that has a bunch of attributes in them um, okay. and and of course a document has some identification yeah, so, you know, um, there is something that makes that document unique, and in DocumentDB, every document has a ID property, um, and like other document stores, if you supply an ID, we will use it, but then it has to be unique, and if you don't supply an ID, we will generate a unique one for you, and then from that point in time, that document is now kind of known as by that ID. Okay. Can, can, can a document contain other documents? How do you do with the um, uh, relationships between documents? Ah, very good kind of question. So, you know, in, 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 in contrast to a relational database that has this notion of relationships from one table to another table, um, <laughs> document stores are already designed around the, the abstract notion of this document. And this document is a self-contained 
unit, right? And the idea is is that you work with this document as a as a self-contained kind of entity. So, for instance, let's take an example of hey, we've got a um, let's let's talk about a podcast, right? So let's 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 model this podcast as a as a JSON document. So you'd have a document called you, you know podcast, and in there would be you know the date published. It would have an ID. It would have like a you know maybe a, a, a short description or a length a time length or whatever the case may be. And then inside of that document, you may have a node called presenters, and that presenter or guests. It may be a a JSON or a, a, a JavaScript array, um, and inside of that array, you would then have guest would be Ryan and guest would be you know Magnuson and 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 you know presenter would be Dag kind of thing, um, right. and that and that is in contrast to a relationship a relational database where you would have a podcast table that would store your podcasts, and then you would have a person table that would store your people and then you'd have right. a table in, in between that did the many to many kind of join between right. podcast and, and, and person. Um, and then you would use a join statement in SQL to kind of join the record up and get back your, your full entity. In a document database, you kind of denormalize your data and you stick it into this concept of a document. Right. Now that's the general rule of thumb, right? And I, and I say that rule of thumb is probably, you know, a good 80% of the time. Um, okay. However, in in our case, let's say we go back to our model of, of the podcast that has our names denormalized in the podcast record. If my name changes or something about me changes, the problem with denormalizing your data is that I've now stored me as a person multiple times for every podcast I've been on. And if something about me changes and I want to go and update that stuff historically, I have to go back to every podcast document that I've been on and go apply the update. Whereas in a relational database, what you would do is you would just update the person record and then suddenly everything would change because of that relationship. So that's the big fundamental difference between document stores and relational databases is, yeah. is how you model your data and how you represent your data. Okay. What we've seen some people start doing is, and, and, and the notion is kind of okay to a point, and, and I'll talk about to a point um, a little bit after I've explained what they're doing. But instead of kind of denormalizing the data and saying, hey, person, first name, Ryan Crocker, what they actually do is they put a, 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 they create a weak reference. So instead of putting my details in a denormalized form in the, in, in the podcast document, what they actually do is they just put an ID. And then they have a separate document called person. And in there, I've got the person, Ryan Crocker, with an ID. Now, there's no actual relationship constraint or foreign key constraint between those two documents, but they do relate to each other in this weak kind of relationship that your application maintains. Now, the benefit of doing that is that, you know, if I change something about me, I can change it in, in, in the Ryan Crocker document, and then all the podcast documents that have a weak link to me will go and get updated at the same time. Now, that's okay to do up to a point. I've seen people kind of do it at a one level and that's okay, you know, it performs, you know, pretty well. But then you start kind of seeing people taking that a little too far and they do, you know, you know, 15 levels of these weak, weak relationships. And then, you know, if you're modeling your data and your data ends up looking like that, you may actually be better in a relational database because they were designed to do that. I see. I see. So the, the target data or data, structure, if you will, is is different between a relational database and, and what you would typically store in a document database. 
Yeah, and I, and I mean, you know, I've taken some relational databases and I've and I've run them through a conversion process where I've denormalized the data and created effective, efficient JSON documents out of that relation relational right. data. But there are some relational databases that I look at and I'm going, there's no way I'm going to take that database model and 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 model it as as a single JSON document because it's just going to be unmanageable and 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 you know way too complicated to kind of do. So. Yeah. Again, you know, there's there's different. The reason that you know we didn't stop building SQL Server when we when we kind of built Document Database um, is because there is a place for relational databases. There's a place for Document Databases. There's a place for key value stores. And Ryan, um, where, Ryan, where is the sweet spot for the Document Database then? Where is the sweet spot? I mean. Um, I think when, when when you're dealing with 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 these simple kind of um, documents, I mean, I know before I did this, a lot of like systems that I bought, like web applications or mobile applications, um, uh, you know, you, you're generally kind of using uh, a relational database, but you don't really have many relationships. You know, go have a look at your relational model and see how many foreign key constraints you actually really have um, in 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 your application. You know, and 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 I think you'll be surprised how few times you're actually really using foreign keys, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and being able to denormalize your data down um, and, and deal with your data in the single entity is actually quite useful. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Um, so I have a, I have a, a question in a slightly different direction here uh, about the, uh, the fact that, you know, there were rumors uh, early on or, you know, way back when you started Document Database that there was supposed to come out the Document Database at some point. But, of course, Microsoft doesn't comment on rumors and speculations, right? So you basically went dark for a long time. And uh, I, I can actually disclose that not even the, the internal guys like me, the MVPs, uh, were, were preview to any, any information about what you were doing. Um, so, um, and it, obviously, it wasn't the first time somebody created a document database when you went into public preview, right? You have had some other uh, document databases uh, and, and uh, workloads on your on your product internally, if I'm correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and, I mean, we I think we first talked about document database at Microsoft probably about two years ago right. uh, is, when, is when we first talked about it. And, yeah. and our intention at the time was to... Um, take a public preview pretty much straight away, right? Um, and and yeah. you know, we had a product, we thought, you know, we're, we're, we're good to go. And yeah. then we had, um, before we were ready to go public preview, we had two really big internal properties in Microsoft say, you know, we're looking for a document database and yeah. we want to kind of work with you guys. Yeah. And we made a commitment to them to deliver a product that was, uh, production ready, production stable, feature complete, um, supportable that they could run their production workloads on. And because we took that commitment on board, we focused entirely on on, on making sure that we supported them, yeah. and and we we were the back end to them. So for a year and a half, we've worked exclusively with internal projects um, to make sure that. You know, we were able to support them and, and run at scale and handle millions of queries a day and, and millions of documents and that kind of stuff. Now that they're stable and they're live and 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 they 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 like what they've got, we're now we now again in a position to be able to kind of say, okay, let's make this now a a a, a public service and, and bring exactly. other customers on board. 
Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I mean, you, you can either go public early and publicly evolve a product, or you can, if you're a huge like Microsoft, go internally and and uh, and solve this the, the way you did to yeah. to actually evolve and build a product which is you know production worthy and, and and really big and really good when you when you come out with it. There's always, of course, uh, a risk uh, that Absolutely. that that the public yeah. won't like it. But uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a risk. A risk. Yeah, there's always yeah. a risk. But uh, is there anything you can tell us about those internal customers, or is this secret still? Um, no, I, you know, I think there, there, there is some that we can talk about. Um, right. You know, and it's it, it's known that you know, and and I think maybe it was miscommunicated somewhere. But you know, OneNote um, recently, probably about nine months ago, launched a OneNote API service where you can actually like OneNote from anywhere and you can code against OneNote, right? And you can make OneNote, integrate OneNote into your applications through this API. Now, that application and that part of OneNote, so not the whole OneNote suite and not the whole OneNote product, but that part of OneNote uses uses DocumentDB. And and they were... They were one of, or they were the big um, driver that 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 we had to focus on. So that that one today gets used by by millions of, yeah. of people every day. Um, so that's the one big one. There there are some other big ones that we can't disclose. Okay, just that's yet, But they're but they're brand names that that you all know, and you're probably using them today already. Right. I know for sure you're using them today. So, so Ryan, do you mean that uh, the document eBay that we see now is uh, almost production ready? You are ready to to just push the general availability uh, general availability button, and uh, we can use it. Um, you know, I think we 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 have a set of features that um, you know we, we had in place and that was built and they were built for these two the, these particular internal properties um, obviously those are not all the features that the general public are needing right and and since we've launched the the preview we've had incredibly good uptime we've had no incidents we've had no no, no issues in, in, in preview everybody's up the clusters are stable you know we're exceeding our our, our internal SLAs, we're happy with the stability of, of what we're seeing. There have been a few kind of provisioning hiccups here and there due to load, but but we're on top of those. Um, right. So from a from a stability point of view and from a from a production ready kind of point of view, I'd say you know what what we have today is 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 pretty solid. Um, what we're doing now during the preview period is gauging what additional features customers are wanting before we hit the GA button. Um, so? you know, and there's been incredible amounts of feedback in the three weeks that we've been in preview. You know, people have been giving us great feedback, good what feedback, the, negative so what feedback. Are, you know, uh, what, what are the uh, biggest requests? Then? So some of the biggest requests have been, um, and, and, and these are things that we kind of expected. I mean, they're, they're not news to us and, and they didn't kind of shock us. Um, they're, they're things that we had on our list and we were expecting it. Just the order of some of them have, have, have been kind of interesting. But one of the big ones is the ability to have like a um, an offline or a local um, emulator, simulator type thing for, for development and testing. And, and we knew that one was going to be a big ask, and, and we're, we're definitely looking at how we can enable that um, before GA. Um, 
mostly around the ability, not not so much that you can install it on a server and run it outside of Azure. That's that that's not our intent at the moment. But it's more about how you can run your tests, how you can incorporate that into your continuous build um, right. environment, how you can develop while you're sitting on the train, and you know that kind of stuff. So, so that's definitely on our roadmap. There are some additional uh, capabilities in our SQL query engine. You know, today you can do most of the SQL kind of queries, so select star from where kind of stuff. But there, there are a few of those SQL grammar that we need to um, enhance and extend to be able to do things like paging. You know, so uh, we need to add auto buy, so we can do an auto buy custom fields in descending or ascending order on the server. That's been a big, big ask, and I think it's currently the like number one ask wow. is to implement auto buy on the server. So that's. Yep. That's currently in progress, um, and, and and you know it's being worked on. The other big ask is around, you know, backup and restore, and 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 geographic redundancy and geographic replication, and 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 that kind of stuff. And and we knew that was going to be a big ask because in order to run production stuff on this, you know, you need to be sure that you know if a meteor wipes out, you know, West US, that you can easily fail over to Europe or whatever. Um, yep. And that, and that's a big ask. And we've actually got some of that stuff running. Um, internally for for our big customers, we're just now kind of turning that into a feature and and allowing you know customer co- to control when the failovers happen and and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So those are some of the things that we're now taking and and adding to the product to round it out and really make it a um, an actual production ready system. Great. Uh, a, a simple question, Ryan. How do I use uh, Document DB? How how do I set it up? How do I uh, communicate with it and so on? So to set it up is really easy. You go into you know portal.azure.com, so in the new portal, and you put in an account, right? And an account, think of an account like a storage account. You get a DNS addressable endpoint. You get a primary uh, a, a primary and a secondary key. And using that endpoint and that key, you can actually now start communicating with DocumentDB. And how you communicate it with it is entirely up to you. You know, you can use REST API directly if you want to. We've got a C-sharp SDK, Node.js, Python um, SDKs that you can actually use. We've got a JavaScript SDK, so if you're building single-page applications or phone applications or, or tablet applications and you want to use um, a JavaScript client SDK to talk directly to our server and not go through a middle tier, you can do that. Um, you can use PowerShell scripts, command line, you know, uh, tools, that kind of stuff. So, like most Azure services, you offer you a variety of different ways of talking to the service. We do the same thing. Do I do I need the key to 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 um, use uh, DocumentDB, or can I use the shared access secret or something like that instead? Oh, that's a very good question as well because, you know, especially when you're starting to work with sh- single-page apps or, or mobile applications and that kind of stuff, you don't really want to distribute those keys because if someone gets a hold of those keys, they can compromise your account. So that's a good question. And in DocumentDB, we've got the notion like you would expect in a database of, of, of users, and you can give grant users rights or permissions, read-write per- um read, write kind of permissions on databases, collections, and down to a document level. So I could say, hey, you know, this user, um, you know, has permission to read this collection, but he only has permission to write the following documents. Um, And what you would do in those kind of cases is that you would actually 
once the user is authenticated and authorized in your system, however you do that today, uh, you would then go to DocumentDB and say, can I get a resource token for this user? And we go off, confirm that he's a user in the database, figure out where his permissions are, build up effectively what is a shared access signature like you're used to and give that back to you. And that you can then pass that token down to your user and say, hey user, when you want to talk to DocumentDB, use this key. And that key is for that user specifically, it'll expire in a particular time and it then knows who that user is. Mm, that's really great. Yeah, so you don't, you don't have to distribute your keys. And how do I pay for it? <laughs> um, with a credit card. No. Okay. <laughs> and, and if you want to give me your credit card number now on, on the call, that'll be cool. I'll, I'll just write it down. And... I'm kidding. I mean, what we do with DocumentDB, you know, we've really designed this thing to be scale out. And, and you know, we really want to deliver on the, on, the, on the dream of cloud computing where we've got infinite scale. And, and infinite's a... A kind of a loose word because infinite is probably you know limited by the size of your credit card and the, and how many hardware and how much hardware we can fit into a data center. Um, but the idea is is that you know we sell Document DB in this concept of capacity units, and there are these blocks of capacity that you buy, and a capacity unit gives you. Um, an amount of storage and a dedicated amount of, of resources in terms of throughput now. One of those capacity units will cost you uh, $22.50 US uh, for a capacity unit per month, and we prorate that to the day. So if you have it for one day, you'll pay you know, $22.50 divided by 30 will give you what you'll charge for one day of one of those. Um, so that's how you pay for it. If you want to scale this out, so if you need more capacity units because you need more storage or you need more um, you know, grunt in terms of throughput, then you just buy another capacity unit. Um, and then your throughput and your storage double, and you just keep adding capacity units until you run out of credit card, um, or we run out of hardware, whichever comes first. <laughs> so, so, so a capacity unit is, for example, 500 megabytes of data or something like that, or was it, what is it uh, in, in storage space? So a, a, one capacity unit is 10 gig in storage space, and it's the concept of 2,000 request units per second. Mm -hmm. Now, what is a request unit? You know, people always want to know how many reads per second can I do and how many writes per second can I do? And my answer to that question is always, well, it depends. It depends on what you're writing. It depends on what kinds of reads you're doing. So what we've done is we've, every operation against DocumentDB has this virtual cost associated to it. So it's not a dollar cost, but it has a, an operation cost. That operation cost comes out of the number of request units per second that you have. So if you were doing, you know, really simple, small JSON schemas, you know, 1K documents that have, you know, a handful of properties, and you're doing reads on those just by a single, you know, by its ID, for instance, really simple, really quick, easy read. Those may cost like one request unit. That means you can do 2,000 of those reads per second. If you were doing really big, you know, JSON documents that are all like, you know, uh, 500K or 256K or whatever the thing is, and it's got lots and lots and lots of properties and deeply nested structures and that kind of stuff, and you're doing those reads, well, obviously those reads are going to be more expensive than a, than, a, than a really small document. So that read may actually cost you, for argument's sake, five request units. That means you can, instead of getting 2,000 reads a second, you're now going to get, you know, 500 reads a second. Um, 
And that's how we kind of figure things out inside of DocumentDB. Every operation has got this virtual cost. So if you need more throughput, um, then you buy another request, uh, another capacity unit, and you get another 2,000 request units per second. So with two, you would have 20 gig of storage and 4,000 request operations per second, if that makes right. sense. It does, it does. But I'm, I'm immediately starting to thinking, thinking in terms of, of auto-scaling here. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and one of the asks I saw come up on, and 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 this is kind of useful. If 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 people want to request features or vote features up or whatever, we've got our um, our feedback user voice feedback thing. So you know, same place that all the Azure services have theirs, we have one as well. So go and go and look at the features people are asking for, and go vote up the go vote up the feature that 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 you particularly want. Okay. One of the 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 things that I've spoke to someone yesterday about was this concept of auto scaling so you know um, start adding capacity units for me when whatever happens when I start running out of storage space or, or whatever the case may be yep. so that's not on our roadmap yet but if that's something people want and, 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 and want to look at then absolutely ask for it and, and we'll, we'll, we'll take it into consideration We'll put some show notes. Uh, we'll put your uh, your uh, um, personal uh, home address. Yeah, yeah yes, exactly. Your personal home yeah. address. Your yes, exactly. <laughs> your your no, credit and, card details and, and credit and, and dog's credit card number. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. All of it. Awesome. <laughs> Ryan, how about backups? How do you do backups in Document DB? It's another good question. Um, today you can't do backups. We do backups internally. Um, but your I control back from them. Or, no, so you you um, can't control them today. Um, we we do them for for reliability in, in to ensure that we don't lose any data in, in in the event of a disaster. But we don't offer you the point, you know, the ability to kind of roll back to a point in time. That is a feature that has been asked for, and it is on the roadmap. But we're talking about redundancy, though. Uh, the uh, the uh, redu- uh, when when you re- read and write like a quorum of of uh, yeah. nodes, etc. So uh, with uh, Azure Storage and uh, SQL Database, there are three copies of everything yep. that you do, uh, and you have a similar story. Yeah, so we, we, we have a we have a similar story. Um, there will be at least three, so that we can kind of maintain a, a majority quorum when we do the read, yep. so we know you know about that stuff. There so may this, be more. This is built in then. Sorry. This is built in then. Yeah, so that's built in. Right. That happens already. So you guarantee that your database will will be highly available. Your records will be available. Um, that we won't lose any data, and we do backups internally, so that in case we lose a data center, we can actually restore you somewhere else. But so that, we, but we don't have any uh, don't have any oops recovery. No, so we don't have the ability of oops, I deleted all my JSON documents. Can I roll back to an hour ago? We don't, we don't have that yet. Um, and again, if that's a feature you want, please go vote for it um, and, and and get it up there because you know, based on, on on customers' votes and users' votes, we will use that as one of the levers when we prioritize things. Now, the concept of geo replication and GODR. You know, sometimes people use those interchangeably. You know, the one is really about disaster recovery. The one is about taking backups, storing them offsite somewhere, and allowing the user to roll back to an hour ago, um, a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, whatever. And that's the concept of disaster recovery, right? That if we lose something or you have a oh, oops moment, you can roll back and, and, and recover from that disaster. 
We're also looking into uh, geographic replication where, like storage, you can actually turn on a replica in, a, in, a, in another data center and then start allowing reads from that secondary data center. Um, and that'll give you, rather than GODR, you know, that gives you geo-replication where you can actually spread your reads out across the world and have, you know, writes go to one, one, one data center, but then reads are then being served from, from multiple different data centers, like SQL DB has now started offering in their premium um, edition. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to wrap it up. I think we have been talking over 45 minutes. But before that, Magnus, do you have any conclusion concluded? Last question or something like that? Uh, well, the the uh, interesting, you know, part is is this this thing is out now in the in the wild, and and um, overall, I mean, it's it would be easy for you to say it's been received very well on in the uh, in the in the wild when it's been out there. But is there something that that you feel you're really lacking that you would like to get out there as soon as possible? That that's you know a pain point for you. I mean, almost personally. This yeah, like a- I think you know there there are a few of those things, and 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 there are some things that we really wanted to kind of include um, before we went public preview. But you know, we we really did need to get the public preview out because you know what it's like. You know, you yep. can work on something for forever, think yep. it's perfect, release it to the wild, and then you find all the feedback that you never expected. Right. So we really wanted to get this out there and start getting some feedback. And some of the things that that I'm I'm sad that we that we missed out on. Um, we're we're working hard now to kind of put in place, and that's things like ordering and and order buy on the server and proper paging support, because because okay. that's that, that that's so vitally important. And yeah. another thing we're we're working hard on, um, you'll see when you start working with DocumentDB, all the re- resources have this notion of a of a self link, and these self links are like an internal kind of um, REST addressable property. And in order to do anything with any resource in, in, in Document DB, you need the self-link. Now, we understand that, you know, and, and, and I know, you know, when you're talking about a database, you talk about a database by its name. You don't really talk about a database by some restful, addressable kind of ID. Um, so that, that's causing a pain point today, you know, around people are really struggling with these self-links. And and we we're working hard to kind of fix that so that we, awesome. we can get rid of that that concept and make make developers' lives a whole lot easier. So those are the two big things that I I'd, I'd I'd really like to see getting out there soon. Okay, cool. I think that's that's a good wrap. Uh, okay, thank you very much, Ryan. That you have a, a found a um, a feature for me now to store the metadata of my podcast. Awesome. Yeah. That's so, great. thank you very much, and uh, I really want to congratulate you to the first preview of Document DB, and I'm really looking forward to see when it's the button is pressed for the general availability, so we see how awesome. nice it will be. So, thank you very much, Ryan, and thank you, Magnus, to be thank my you. co-host. Bye, Thanks, guys. guys. Thank you. Right. Bye. Chat later.